This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Hey, this is Morgan Lee. I'm an assistant editor here at Christianity Today and a host for Quick to Listen. I'm joined this week by my boss and obviously favorite colleague, Richard Clark. <laughs> Thanks. I, I appreciate the compliment. Richard, what do you do here at CT? I'm the online managing editor at CT uh, and the producer of this podcast. And you have your own podcast. And I have my own podcast. It's called The Calling. Check it out. It's good. Wendy Alsup is a guest on today's show. She was also a guest on The Calling recently. Did so. you know that I used to be one of the co-hosts of The Calling and then you kicked me off your intro show? I remember that. It's because people kept complaining that we were just talking about nonsense before every I interview. never talk about nonsense. <laughs> I don't know who they were referring to. Well, today on the show, did we talk about what we're talking about? We're talking about women's ministry. We're continuing a conversation that has been started, I would say, probably in the past month. And we're going to try and give you a new spin on it here on Quick to Listen today. There's a lot of angles to this story. There's a lot to there's a lot of um, of things to talk about related to women's ministry that's all sort of coming to the surface recently. It's a pretty fascinating thing to watch, actually, from my perspective, at least. Talking a lot of things I, I hadn't thought about before. So I'm well, excited. I, I'm, a, I'm the token male on this show. And so I'll bring the what sort of perspective. So today we have two really great guests to talk about this. Um, we have Elizabeth Enrig, who's an adjunct professor of Christian Ministry and Leadership at Talbot Seminary. She served as the first National Director of Women's Ministry for the Evangelical Free Churches of America for 10 years. She's currently Pastor of Women's Ministries at Trinity Church in Redlands, California, where she is responsible for the Bible Study Program and Leadership Development. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Uh, we also have with us uh, Wendy Alsup. Wendy is a math teacher, blogger, and author of The Gospel-Centered Woman, and the upcoming book is The Bible Good for Women. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. What a provocative title for that book, Wendy. Yeah, the answer is yes. Oh, good. But... <laughs> if that's kind of a spoiler. You don't get the answer until the very last paragraph. That's right. So where are you both speaking to us from today? I am from St. Matthews, South Carolina, on my parents' farm. Wow. What about you, Elizabeth? I am in um, my family room in Redlands, California. Speaking from my soft spot, <laughs> a place to sit. Well, perfect. I feel like we're literally right in the middle then because we are calling you from outside of Chicago. All right, let's get into this conversation. So last month, this podcast, Quick to Listen, discussed Christian author and speaker Jen Hatmaker's announcement that she now supported same-sex marriage. And this declaration sparked controversy for predictable reasons the nature of her remarks and her high-profile personality, but also for less predictable ones, as our colleague Kate Shelnut explored in a recent story for CT. Shelnut's story examined the rise of national women's ministry leaders using the internet in many ways to gain prominence through non-traditional ways. So I'm going to quote Shelnut right now. Hatmaker's popularity underscores how women's ministry has transformed in the 21st century. 
Christian women increasingly look to nationally known figures for spiritual formation and inspiration, especially when they don't see leaders who look like them stepping up in their own churches. While various evangelical subcultures may find different female teachers filling their social media feeds and Amazon recommendations, numbers show that the top names in women's ministry rival or even outdraw high-profile televangelists and megachurch pastors. That kingdom has expanded in the internet era when ambitious women can draw mass followings around their writings, teachings, and events without the restrictions of geography, official titles, or other structures. These women are role models, said Sharon Hody Miller, whose doctorate research at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School examined evangelical women's motivations to serve in ministry. If you are an evangelical woman with teaching gifts, there aren't always role models in your local church. Awesome piece by Kate. Suggest everyone check it out. One unspoken tension of the piece is that these women, whether they're Beth Moore or Priscilla Shire or Lisa Turkhurst, have had the unique ability to reach a number of women in complementarian churches. Many of these women that they're reaching may have had little exposure to female teaching and may be in a church where female leadership is all but invisible. Complementarian churches' theological beliefs keep willing from filling standard church leadership roles, a situation that comes with its own challenges. In and discipling and training women leaders. And so today we'd like to discuss presuming that churches are not going to allow women to speak from the stage. How can complementary churches find a place for women? So before we get to the gut check, I just want to take a moment to say that Click to Listen is made possible by your generosity. What else? So right now, if you subscribe, which we have an offer for $10 a year. $10 a year is how much you would have paid for Black Friday, but we give you the Black Friday special. If you subscribe to our issue right now, there's some really good stuff. Wendy Ossip's in this issue. She wrote a, a piece about the reference to women being saved through childbearing, which is a really uncomfortable Christmas verse is kind of how we're framing it. And definitely worth everyone's time. All right. So you want the $10 offer. I'll give you the $10 offer. It is orderct.com slash quick to listen orderct.com slash quick to listen. If you subscribe now, we'll still give you this amazingly beautiful blue issue. If not, you wait a couple weeks. If you want to give this to everyone you know for Christmas, because this is a great Christmas option. I'm just going to keep telling you that all month. Great Christmas option. Please go ahead and order then later in the month. So before we launch into this bigger discussion, I want to rewind a little bit and have our gut check segment. This is when Richard and I give some of our visual responses to the story at hand. And in this case, kind of like the message of what Shelnut was saying in her piece is I think what we're going to be telling you how we felt about right now. So Richard, give me your really concise sense of how you felt about this piece. Yeah, that this is a weird gut check because I feel like we're doing a gut check after a gut check because Kate's piece really is like a looking deeper at an issue. But really my gut check to that piece was a sort of realization that, you know, I've I I've gone to complementarian churches really my whole life and the realization is that that I had was like we haven't thought deeply about women's ministry uh, at least in the churches I've been a part at, of for complementarians there's no easy answer. It's like just let women do what men do. <laughs> you can't you can't do that uh, in complementarian churches. So I think it's a hard question and one I'm happy that we're thinking through. I would say this piece honestly just taught me a, a lot. It doesn't necessarily reflect my own church experience because I go to a church that's relatively non-traditional right now. I go to a house church and the formations of leadership look different in a house church model than they are going to look in a more moderately sized church. The idea of having women's ministry, for instance, is not necessarily 
good at the scale of that, right? Is not necessarily going to be the same. Yeah, it gave me a big insight into what things are looking like. So Elizabeth or Wendy, if did you guys see anything in our reactions or in my like summary that you think we're missing or that you want to add to the conversation as we kick it off? My appeal or my request in terms of thinking this through with women uh, is reflected by 40 years of watching changes take place and realizing the church, rightly or wrongly, strong, strong or weak, is still a womb where babies get born, people grow up, and family matters get attended to. So my, I have, there's a certain amount of grief I have in recognizing, right, I need someone who's like me or has shared in my responsibilities. I've had cancer. I've had um, a death of a child. Those, some of those things, I need someone who understands that, but I would love to be able to give a vision uh, to the people in my circle of influence that that can be found right at home. Most of the majority of churches in America are 200 or less, and somehow it would be lovely to be able to establish a value on the the people in my life so that maybe even one person in that context, one woman, one older woman, is going to be able to come alongside me and help me identify with me with a struggle, with a burden, with a joy, with a celebration, all the children, bringing children, loving my husband, those kind of things. So I feel very caught in between thinking, where are we going to go from here? I'm wondering how this is unique to women's ministry, because some of the stuff you're saying I relate to in terms of like the temptation to find people on the internet (laughs) that are more like me to have conversations with and to learn from and to sort of passively forget about the local church and the people there that I can help and be helped by. I don't necessarily think it's unique for women, but um, for other reasons, I think we notice it more with women. I think as people increasingly rely on their own personal experiences, one, to gain credibility with the people that they're trying to reach, and two, as to find a a source of truth, if you will, um, it becomes increasingly important that they that when we ourselves are like looking at them, like, can I trust you? Is is what you're saying valid? You need to have similar experiences or you need to have walked through it. At least I can speak for my own generation. I think that there's a, a skepticism of someone being able to speak about something that they've never personally experienced themselves for for better or for worse, right? There's a tendency to want to push back and say like, no, you can't just speak objectively about something. You can really only speak about what you've lived through you know, whether it's because of what your race is or what your gender is or what your religion is or what country that you grew up in. And I am realizing now, like, if I do want someone that's like me, at least I ha- I know that in one particular way, the pastor is going, in a complementarian church, the pastor is going to be like me in one particular way, <laughs> which is that he's male. So I'm going to relate to that. And I think for for a woman, that they don't necessarily have that opportunity in the complementarian church. One of the things that I I do see um, we stepped down after 21 years at Trinity, and our daughter um, was diagnosed with a glioblastoma, and she passed away 15 months later. We're bringing up her children at this point. So we were in kind of a vacuum. I I didn't lose my friends, but there's a change, and you you respect the church, and you have to go on. But we're now in a small um, church plant that some uh, people had a conviction to plant. So here I am in a group of 60 people, a woman, and I— I I believe that if given an opportunity, 
the the mandate of Titus 2 becomes very, uh, not just useful, but very freeing to find out in this group, is there someone with this life experience? So the the new believer who's coming and she's coming from a particular background and culture and experience, there becomes a network that if someone is, and I, I believe a woman can do that within women's ministries, build this network. So if there's just one or two, there's a, a possible connection there, of a link where bringing people together, even within something small, reflects what I, I, it seems that the scripture would want us to do if we were stuck on an island with 60 people. We wouldn't have the, I don't know, we probably would have the internet, but I, I just feeling that still the, while the social media meets a need, there's something about face-to-face, arm-to-arm, caring for one another, nurturing, nourishing, that is is available in a complementary complementarian church, but needs to be found out, needs to be brought out among the women. I guess that's where the change in my life came when I realized, no, you're not, it's not biblical to keep women in their place. What it is, is that God calls us to find, uh, to give women their place, to give what God has gifted. And one of the ways to go is a consideration of this mandate in Titus 2, which opens up doors and doors for a group of women who never thought they might minister to other women if that uh, that becomes a freedom for them. Would you guys say it's more difficult for complementary churches to find a, a place for women? Yeah, I would say it likely is. And in part, you know, it depends on how you use complementarianism. Do you mean complementarian by the general idea? that elders and pastors should only be male, or if you're talking about the actual larger complementarian movement in the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. But if you're talking about that movement and the people who coined the term, because it was at its foundation a reaction to evangelical feminism, it came with some suspicion of women. And so I think that that's a little bit hard to slough off. I think it's happening. I think more and more people who identify as complementarians are putting away suspicions that women want to, you know, remove men from places to leadership and are are doing better. But it's taken work to get to that place so that when women want to be a part, then their gifts are welcomed. And what are the things that men do or that just churches do that convey this this thing. I think a lot of times we accidentally send off signals that convey things we don't necessarily mean. One thing that I will say that I think makes this a little bit more complicated and maybe alludes to what Richard's talking about is that I, uh, the house church that I go to firmly affirms male leadership. Yeah, I, I feel like I get along well with almost all the male leaders that are there and have really rich conversations with them afterwards. But at the same time, there's different informal roles that people play over the course of the sermon, which I've noticed during my almost two years there are almost exclusively filled by the men in our church. And I have been confused for over the time that I've been there about like what the special buttons I'm supposed to press to like get access to pick the songs that we sing on Sunday morning or to make announcements or to help with the facilitation of things. And I've just not known what I could do because I think that I have positive relationships with people where they trust me. At least no one's come to me and said, like, I'm I'm worried about what your spiritual health is here um, and called that into question. But, yeah, I, I don't sometimes there's just those like informal barriers that you feel that you don't know if it's because of your gender or if it's because 
you have bad attendance. Right. Or... Well, that's a really interesting point because I think a lot of churches, this is a problem for everyone in every church a lot of times, especially in churches don't, that don't have formal tracks towards leadership or towards like any sort of influence, you you find yourself going, why am I the one that's being ignored or that is sort of like set aside and not involved in things? Like, why is it me? Is it just because I'm like not personable or something? Like, what's the deal? And you ask all those questions. I've been in those situations myself in churches. I've also been in churches where they have those sort of formal tracks, but they're for men only. And then I've been in a church where they had that formal track. It was for men only. And they have opened it up to women, but they had to sort of awkwardly let women do certain things in that situation. And this sort of clarified for me in that moment, like why this is such a hard problem for complementarian churches in particular is because I think you start to have to have awkward conversations about where women are and aren't supposed to do certain things and why. And no one in the church agrees. And once you start opening that door and having the formal tracks, you start inviting hard discussions and arguments. One dynamic going on there, Richard, and probably in your um, church too, Morgan, if you don't have strong male leadership, I think a lot of pastors, particularly in a church plan, in a complementarian church plan, they feel a really strong need. This is a you know, a generalization, but often women will more easily step up than men. And so it's almost like you have to bend over backwards to encourage some men Uh (laughs) that women who are willing are overlooked because they're trying to draw these men out. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things too that helps this is a leader or a pastor or an elder. What I see happening in a complementarian church is if a pastor's not threatened by female leadership and the the elder board is on board with that there's a there's a almost a, a celebratory attitude and the goal right. in a church is to have the leaders valuing what every member of the body brings the strength of a leader if peter's right in in his book he, he's not lording it over but he's seeking to develop and to serve i i've encouraged people find a church where you know that the leadership ha- has a view of understanding of the gifts being something that are are shared with the entire body, not just one particular sex. Now, they may work out differently in terms of the paradigm that beca- develops or the model that develops, but uh, the leaders bring the tone to the group. The value of acknowledging a person's giftedness, not not performance, but giftedness is a gift to that person. It's an encouragement. I just am so convinced we have to work together. So in order to get to that working together, often there have to be kind of like intentional, practical steps that local churches take, whether it's changing structures or systems. So I'm wondering if either of you have some idea of practical recommendations for local churches um, to be more intentional about affirming women's gifts um, and also how they might go about that, given that elder boards and pastoral staffs are are going to be men. One of the things that uh, we did when we were developing leadership teams within the Evangelical Free Church of America. We had 1,400 churches that we answering this very are asking this very question: How do we strengthen the partnership 
in local churches, never denying equality, but realizing there are there are specific roles that need to be filled. First of all, sit down with the pastor, esteem the pastor yourself, or respect the leadership, and appeal on the basis of the need for older women and younger women to be together. I think that's a, a huge thing. Even in this culture, many of the people, women that I'm working with at this point, have never really sat down with an older woman. And I know that many of the older women feel that there's there's nothing they have to give to this very bright, effective, efficient, professional woman. And as we've appealed to the pastor himself, will you help us make this work? Asking questions. Bill Hamill taught me that uh, at the Free Church, that asking as many questions as possible allows an open door to a discussion of a solution. So I would say ask questions of each other at the same time that the need to come up with the answer may take a while in a process. Developing leadership in the church, the local Local church doesn't happen certainly overnight because you're dealing first of all with attitudes and then you have to move to the next step. One of the things when we did um, an Equip for the King conference in our church, the first one we tried to bring women from different churches, we wanted to make a statement to them that our leadership valued us. That's all that they needed to do. And the best way I could do that was to bring our elders in for an evening and let them tell the women in the audience uh, how how they value what goes on in the local church, what they see as their particular responsibility as a particular elder overseeing, whatever, just a, a whole area of com- communication that allows question and answer and processing of thinking. So, because no church is going to look the same. So I think basically opening up the doors for conversation. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're we're in in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But hey, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. So I think it's important in a practical sense for elders and pastors to look at their church authority structure and their church ministries and elevate women proactively in every way they're convicted that the Bible allows. And in a very practical sense, an easy thing is women as deacons. The Apostle Paul wrote the qualifications of diaconess in 1 Timothy 3, also calls Phoebe diaconess. Now you have a pretty good foundation for women as deacons. And there's still some complementarian churches that struggle with that. And I've even heard from some, they're like, well, it's a slippery slope. And I'm like, no, it's biblical. 
It's biblical. It's not a slippery slope to call what the Bible allows okay. What are the roles of pastor's wives in the local church? And should they be equipped to do more or less? And is there any sense of, you know, kind of giving them more responsibility without necessarily paying them, you know, actually may undermine promoting women's voices? The bottom line in all these things we're talking about in this particular issue is God is sovereign in all things. And for me, uh, as I was a senior pastor's wife for many years, to think every one of the pastor's wives had to do the same thing is ridiculous because God is sovereign in the gifting. What I do know is that if she is committed to ministry to women, it's wonderful to have them participate in the ministry in terms of the studies at Trinity Church. I looked particularly for opportunity to come alongside our pastors as we added to the staff and just say, what do you think God's given you that you can bring to us that we're missing or we don't have? And to help them find a niche Sometimes it was in women's ministry, sometimes it wasn't. But I believe the women in the church love to know the women, the pastor's wives, are on their team, are with them, that they, they love them as their husband loves them. I don't think they do the same thing. I don't think they have to have the same gifts, of course, but they do. To have a pastor's wife affirm ministry that's going on in the church is just a marvelous opportunity. The best scenario, I think, is when other women leaders, other women who have leadership qualities rise to the occasion and join with a pastor's wife or the pastor's wife joins with them and the job gets done. The care, the teaching, the the discipling, the nourishing, the nourishment, all these things that have to go on among women um, that the, the, the aspect that we need get done, it gets done in a way that the Lord would be pleased. Have you guys in your church experience ever felt that church leadership would maybe underinvest in hiring women because they kind of put those responsibilities on pastors' wives instead? Yeah, I don't think that the paid staff position is the magic bullet because it really depends on whether you value discipleship of a group of women. It can almost at times be like a token, which is not to say it's it's not good. I think it's good. It also is expensive. Most of the ministry in, in the history of women's ministries, and it goes back a lot further than, than we w- might think it does in terms of women caring for women. But the ones I've talked to who have done it as a volunteer, on a volunteer basis, do not resent the lack of funds. What they would like is to be celebrated in some way and appreciated and valued and not taken for granted. The other thing is, at some point, even if they're in volunteer, very, very helpful for volunteer women's ministry leaders to have opportunity to be sitting with the staff at some point. Otherwise, you feel like an appendage where you're really not sharing in the mission and the uh, the participation of the church. Well, I, I just need to, to, as we close this conversation, I'll say my, my complimentarian boss does an awesome job, seriously, office-wide of elevating all of our voices here at the office. And part of that Richard does is because he asks questions and he asks for feedback about things and he 
involves us in part of the process. He recognizes people. He doesn't feel threatened by other people's voices. In fact, he feels you can tell by hanging out with him. He feels like he can do his job better because of other people's voices, which is the purpose of complementarianism. One of the things that's hard when you when you're a complementarian entering this is sort of off the rails, but in, entering into a space where not everyone is, and you get real paranoid about what people are going to think about you if you're truthful about that. But one of the things that came up here in this conversation that I think is super important is clarity. If you can be clear with one another about what your beliefs are, but what it does and doesn't mean, and like Wendy was talking about, let's talk about what the Bible does and doesn't say, and then act on those principles, then I think you can get a lot done and have a lot of mutual respect for one another. All right. I guess the man gets the last word. Thank you. All right. Okay. So everyone that wants to continue the conversation, go on social media, Twitter. We're at CT Podcast, Facebook.com slash CT Podcast. Let's do precious moments now. Okay. If you're just listening to the show, hopefully we have a bunch of new listeners who have no idea what Precious Moments is. It's essentially the time of the show where we go around and we share something that's bringing us joy this week, as well as where any listener can find us on the internet. So Elizabeth, do you want to go first? I would love to say that what brings me joy is not something I would have thought would bring me as much joy. My my daughter of 44 went to be with the Lord, and God's new assignment to us was to give us two children to bring up uh, for people who are finished a series of their years in life and ministry. And our 11-year-old and our 17-year-old, our 11-year-old's grandson, our 17-year-old granddaughter, bring us great joy. We will never be empty nesters again until we go home to be with the Lord. But we wouldn't trade their presence in our life for a single minute. Where can people find you online? Uh, Women of the Word, uh, Redeemer Fellowship. So yeah, RedeemerLomaLinda.com or Lomalinda Redeemer Fellowship. Our, our Bible studies are online and uh, materials are online. I just need to tell you, I had planned a different life four years ago and the Lord changed that. So that's why I'm in a position where I am not writing what I want to write yet or spending time on the internet the way I would like to, but God's going to have a time for that as well. So sorry, I get emotional when I talk about no, this. Thank you for sharing with us. Wendy, do you want to go? Yeah, I just finished remodeling my grandmother's farmhouse, the house that my mom and aunts and uncles were raised in. And I just hosted our extended family for Thanksgiving. And the house has not been open to family for 35 years or so and was in great disrepair. And it brought me so much joy hmm. to see my aunts and uncles sitting around the dining room table that they grew up around hmm. as kids. And um, it was really just kind of a beautiful picture of ancestry and heritage. It was a, a really sweet time. Where can people find you online, Wendy? www.theologyforwomen.org and on Twitter at Wendy also. A-L-S-U-P. Richard. Uh, it's Christmas time officially. We waited until the day after Thanksgiving, and then we called it Christmas time. We decorated. We started playing Christmas music. Did a tree? We bought a small tree because we live in a small space, and we put it in a bucket. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that was my wife's design decision, and it actually looks weirdly good. There's a tree in a bucket in our living room. It's hard. It's hard to describe, but it's a metal bucket. I'm happy about Christmas time. I've been enjoying Christmas music. Josh Gerrels has a new Christmas album out that I've really been enjoying. 
And Atticus and I danced to Sufjan Stevens' Christmas Unicorn. Atticus is my son. So me and me and my 18, 19 month son danced to Christmas Unicorn. It's that's our new tradition. Are you are you online? Do you spend any time online? Yeah, no, a little bit. So every four months or so, I tweet at the Richard Clark. He's more like every four minutes. But, you know. <laughs> right. Cool. So I'm going to continue the family thing here. I went to go visit my sister who lives in Beirut, and I was there the past two weeks there and also in Jordan. And I got to ride a camel, which was an interesting experience. The other thing is when we were in Jordan, um, so when we when we rode the camels, we were spending the night in the desert. And they actually let you take your mattress out onto the desert floor and spend the night under the stars. It was insane. It made me also really sad because like, you know, a hundred years ago, everyone could see the stars like that. And then now you're like, oh, I have to go to Jordan. <laughs> Gives you a new appreciation for Abraham being promised. <laughs> I'm kidding. This is true. This is true. So I am on Twitter, but also on Instagram. Instagram is so refreshing. Also, I only follow three people on Instagram, so it's way more refreshing than following however thousands of many people I follow on Twitter. You can find me on both of those platforms. And there's pictures of me and, well, no pet camel pictures right yet. But me in the Middle East. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. All right, guys. That's it for all of us this week. Um, thank you so much for listening to the show. The show is produced by Richard Clark and Cray Allred. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. That is super helpful. We will see you all next week. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.